Thank you, our God, for the wonder and the glory that you are holy. In Jesus' high priestly prayer that is recorded for us in your word, he referred to you as Holy Father. It's a title that not often we give. It's not a title that escapes our lips. But it should be an accolation that lives in our hearts. That you are holy. There is none like you. There is none before you. Nor will there be any after you. You are the one who is, who was, and ultimately is to come. We too would classify ourselves as worshipers if we would say what the angels are even proclaiming this morning, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, for the earth is full of your glory. And we are grateful, our Father, our Holy Father, for in your holiness, all of your characteristics flow. Your grace is holy. Your love is holy. Your mercy, we thank you, your mercy is holy. Your omniscience, omnipotence is holy. There's nothing that you do not know, nor there is nothing that slips by you unnoticed. For when you first spoke those words recorded for us from the hand of Moses through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's recorded that in the beginning, God. And that same theme permeates even all the way to the closing verses of the book of the Revelation, where it even says, blessed be the name. Of our God. You are holy. And we're grateful Lord that. In your holiness. Jesus made sure we understood. How much you really enjoy worship for. As Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. He said the father seeks such to worship him. And we do that in spirit and in truth. So this morning, our Holy Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can gather together to sing, to rejoice in your goodness, and even to, oh Lord God, anticipate that even as this past week that you have been gracious, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you still will be gracious next week. So in this rehearsal time of worshiping you that would carry us through the rest of the week, we lift our voices and say, thank you, God. It is our privilege, Lord, to pray one for another. 
that we may encourage one another. God, I thank you that for our missionaries, the Mathungis, the Pierces, the Fortezas, and reading of their latest prayer update, we're grateful, O oh God, of your goodness to them. Their ministries of sharing the gospel, their ministries of teaching and preaching, their ministries of meeting the needs of people that they have privilege of gathering around them. We thank you, O oh God, that we have a, a small part of their ministry. It goes beyond the fact that they're listed on our missionary board. It goes beyond that. It goes beyond the offering that we take. It goes all the way to the throne of God where we can come and lift them to you. And we pray for them. We ask for strength. We ask, O oh Lord God, for continued guidance in their ministries. More importantly, O oh Lord God, we pray that you would use them for your honor and for your glory. Individuals of our own congregation, too, Lord, have been through some illnesses. And we lift them to you. And we ask, O oh God, that you would continue to strengthen them, continue to lift them from their bed of affliction. We rejoice with those who have experienced your healing hand. And we pray for those who are still waiting for themselves to be strengthened, that they may rise and come and join us and to worship for you. So unto you, our King, we praise you. From hearts that have been redeemed by the Savior, for a life that's being changed by the Savior, and for a word that we can say for the Savior, we praise you. We rejoice, O oh Lord God, in this morning for your goodness, and we praise you in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Individuals this past week have been trying their best to get out of me what makes this supposed to make this service so special. What's going to happen at the special service? I said, come and see. It's not often that I get to hear a good preacher. You have to put up with me, and I pity you, but I'm glad that in your graciousness, you, you still occupy the seats of this church. There's been a few times that I've had the privilege of hearing a good preacher. A couple years ago, when I had my left hip replaced, I remember as Pastor Isaac preached that morning, he reiterated to the congregation that I told him it's about time I get to hear a good preacher, and he made mention of the fact that I don't think he's talking about me, but I was. Most recently, I got to hear him speak, and I never really get to hear him speak unless either I'm sick 
or I'm away or something happens to me. And, and this morning, I, I've asked him to speak this morning. The words that he will have to share, I guarantee you, will bless your hearts. But before he comes, I want to read a passage for you. The book of Ecclesiastes is not a book that many people rush to to find encouragement. It starts off by saying, vanities of vanities, all is vanity. Who's going to go there to find encouragement? But yet, in Solomon's own way, in the wisdom that God has blessed him with, there is encouragement. In chapter 3, in verses 1 down to verse 8, it has one theme, time. Time of not 60 minutes or 24 hours. Time is in reference to God leading. And God designed. And God purposed way of life. The first eight verses go like this. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 to 8. To everything there is a season. A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is harvested. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain. And a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. A time to love. And a time to hate. A time of war. And a time of peace time God's time sometimes God's time is difficult to understand it's difficult to live through but I've asked Pastor Isaac to preach this morning so as he comes pay attention to what he has to say for his words will be God's words and God will touch our hearts with what he has to say blessings to you If I could, I'd love to put a survey out to see what all of you are thinking qualifies as a special service. So I hope I don't let you down. Um, the best I heard so far was that maybe it had something to do with St. Patty's Day, but they couldn't figure out, brother, if you were Irish. So that's where we're at. <laughs> that's where we're at. Um, man, it's my joy to be up here again this morning to share with you. And I just want to take a few moments this morning just to kind of share what's happening uh, in the life of our family. And uh, you'll, I think, pretty quickly figure out what God is doing. I, I'm not going to draw it out. We'll just jump in. But I, I have been blessed uh, and greatly privileged to be the under-shepherd, one of the under-shepherds here at Grace for the last 11 years. I still remember the first few days of stepping into 
the main Sunday school room over there with Pastor Jerry Evans and sitting down and planning out vision and mission and strategy for our student ministry. I remember stepping into youth group the first night to be able to teach. I remember being able to sit down with our children's ministry leaders to, again, plan for a year of upcoming ministry. And it truly has been a great blessing to serve here at Grace, and that's what makes this morning bittersweet. When I graduated from Lancaster Bible College with a passion to step into student ministry, even then, God had laid it on my heart that this most likely would only be a 10 to 15 year period. I knew back then that God, in in his wiring of my heart and passions, uh, would possibly take me and use me um, in some sort of teaching pastor, preaching pastor, pastor of discipleship, maybe even a Bible professor. And so that's one of the reasons I jumped into my Master's of Divinity so early on, because I I wanted to be ready for what God might have. As Abby and I have served alongside of each other following God's call, the past 11 years have flown by quickly, and here we are. As of last February, Abby and I began asking the Lord for his direction, for his leading, as I began to sense his guiding to possibly pursue one of those future roles. In fact, last February, when we were at Camp Orchard Hill, I even sat down with the speaker that was there. He was a, te- he's a teaching pastor, and I just asked him, would you mind just sharing with me your, your passion, your role, the transition, what all that looks like? And, and so God has, um, again, brought us through the last few months of Abby and I just doing lots of personal assessment, lots of spiritual gift tests, personality tests, highlighting uh, strengths and weaknesses. We've invited people in church ministry that are from outside of the church to step into our lives, to hear our story, to hear our passion, to be able to speak wisdom into that. We wanted to know, uh, we, don't, we don't want to be foolish in running ahead, but we want to know this is what God has, has called us to. So after months of praying and seeking his leading, we believe God is calling us to step out in faith and follow his calling to use our gifts and skills in a different ministry context. So this past Tuesday, I sat down with the deacons and elders at our joint board meeting and uh, respectfully submitted my resignation for the, the, this position as pastor of student and children's ministries. I want to take a few minutes just to say thank you to you as a church, and I'll try and get through this. I want to say thanks to each of you. You are dear to our hearts. We have such a deep gratitude for you as a church. We love you and we're so grateful for the opportunity over the last 19 years to be here. In fact, it's coming up on 20 this November when my family first rolled in in an old army ambulance and some people thought we were missionaries. (laughs) We weren't. We were just here to attend, but uh, we are, Abby and I, speaking for both of us, we're just so grateful for the privilege to have been able to attend here, to serve here, uh, to be taught, to be able to worship, to be able to teach, to be loved, and to be able to love you in return. When reflecting upon it, the man and woman that we are, the husband and wife that we are, the parents that we are, The pastor that I am has been so uniquely and greatly marked and defined by you. And we're grateful for that. We're grateful for that. I want to say thank you to those who are currently serving on the deacons and elder board and for those who have served on it in the past. I've learned to lead well, I believe, and humbly by your example. 
You men have been a wonderful testimony to me of what it looks like to walk in faithfulness, to step out in faith, to humbly seek the face of God. And I'm grateful for the examples of your lives. I want to say thank you to the staff and their families, Pastor Doug, Nancy, and Allison, Diane, Jim, and Denise. You have been a constant support, a listening ear, a steady encouragement. We have truly shared life together, and I'm grateful for the years that God has allowed us to be in the trench of ministry side by side. We've talked about everything from mowing grass to hunting, and everything in between, and I'm grateful for that. Grateful for the unity, for the teamwork, uh, for the accountability. I believe I'm a better man because of all of you, so thank you. Your lives have been a testimony to me of God's grace. I want to say thank you to the volunteers and the many ministries that Abby and I have had the privilege to step in and serve with and to oversee. Uh, You should know who you are, but uh, the Iwana ministry, all of those who have helped in that over the years, Vacation Bible School, Children's Church, Children's Cantata, Ignite, Praise Team, Walk Through Bethlehem. Some of these ministries we've been able to step into first season, others for the last 19 and a half years, and it has been a joy, a constant joy. The impacts that those ministries have had in the lives of others has been accomplished by your willingness to be used by your Savior to build a kingdom. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the teamwork. Thank you for the opportunity to let Abby and I serve with you. Some might ask, where are you headed? I'm sure we'll have more information in the weeks to come, but as of now, we have no idea. We just know God's calling, and we want to be obedient to step out in faith. And uh, sometimes faith is a little scary at times because you don't know what all the pieces of the puzzle are. But as I've said many times before, I don't want to be Jonah, and I don't want to be running in the wrong direction. I don't know what the modern version of a whale is, so I'd just rather not go that way. Um, Our love for you as a church uh, has really helped us to recognize that God has allowed us to lead as far as he will allow us to lead. And so uh, we'll be stepping out. Um, Our last Sunday will be May 26th here. Uh, We wanted to give the church... Uh, as much time as possible to look for the new man that'll come in and and with a new set of passion and gifts and skills to continue on in the ministry. So I would ask if uh, you would pray for our family as we pursue our king, and I want you to know that we will be praying for you. Um, We'll be praying for several things for Grace Community Church, but I think the main thing would just be that the Great Commission is still the main mission in your lives, that you would go forward boldly and courageously and impact this community like never before seen, that you would be focused on exalting the King of Kings as you have been, and that you would continue to move out faithfully in whatever, in whatever circle of influence that might be, whether that's the school, whether that's your workplace, your families, your friends. There are people in this community and in this valley that are headed for an eternity separated from God, and they need us to step in and share the gospel. They need us to be the salt and light. So just encourage you to continue to move in that. And that's what we'll be praying for, for you. Now, I know you didn't come to hear me talk about myself. So I'd invite you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 18. I'd like to encourage you with a few things this morning. And in a similar way that I encouraged you 11 years ago. My very first sermon here was September 14th of 2008. 
and we looked at 2 Kings chapter 18. At that time we looked at verses 1 through 8, but I hope in the last 11 years you've grown. Your sanctification has happened a little more since then, so we're going to tack on four more verses this morning. I believe you can handle it. So 2 Kings chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. written for us. It says, Now it came about in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. Verse 6. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. Now in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. At the end of three years, they captured it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was captured. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and put them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gazan, and in the city, cities of the Medes. Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they would neither listen nor do it. I just want to take a few moments to encourage you with three things. From the life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah did not allow his past to chain him down. He did not allow his past to keep him from moving boldly and courageously forward for the sake of the kingdom. I mean, when you think about it, Hezekiah had every reason to sit tight and to hold on to his kingdom with all that he had. The Assyrians wanted him dead. His people were bringing the world into their, their, their walk with God and mixing it and worshiping all kinds of false idols. And his father, or his family, was a mess. His family was chaotic. His father was horribly wicked. In fact, according to 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28, he was a horribly wicked man. He made molten images for the Baals. He made high places to burn incense to other gods on the hills. And under, Scripture says, under every green tree, and in every city of Judah. I mean, he was all about worshiping everything else except the one true God. Not only did he burn incense to false gods, but he also burned his sons in the fire as an act of worship. They had a false god called Molech, and there's a couple different ways the statue would be created, but the idea would be they'd build a fire and the arms would be out and they'd lay the child on the arms and the child would either roll off the arms into the fire or he would sit there on the arms and be burned alive. And we think that, we look at that, we hear that, and we think, how horrible, and yet isn't that what's happening in our country today? As millions of babies are being slaughtered every year. 
It was an absolutely horrible time, and yet Hezekiah did not allow the climate and his culture to paralyze him. He moved forward boldly and courageously for what is right before God. He removed the high places, he broke down the sacred pillars, and he cut down the Asherah. But he also quickly stepped in to remove a thing of tradition, which had become an idol to the people of Israel. Did you notice that? And there in verse 4, he also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel had burned incense to it. This bronze serpent comes from the book of Numbers that God had allowed to be implemented to rescue the people. It was intended for good in its initial stage, and yet the people eventually began to worship it. The it's a fun word to say. Nehushtan there is the Hebrew word for bronze and the Hebrew word for serpent just smashed together and alliterated. So what we're saying there, Nehushtan, is literally the, the way you would say the Hebrew word in the English. It's not translated, but that's what they were calling it. And it was a bronze serpent that God had used. It was implemented for good but became an idol. And yet Hezekiah comes in and breaks it to pieces. So here's just one challenge. Church, as individuals and corporately, what have we elevated above the worship of Christ. Maybe in our own lives, traditions, programs, ministries, past failures, people, methods, things, possessions, anything that we put above worshiping Jesus is an idol. And so we have three options. We can allow it to paralyze us and do nothing. We can idolize it, worship it. Or we can do what is right. Thankfully, Hezekiah chooses option three. And he does what is right. He did what is right by trusting the Lord. Verse five, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. So much so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. And I love that phrase, for he clung to the Lord. And it's this idea of holding on tightly for firm dependence. I'm sure your children have done this at some point. My children are at the perfect age right now where they just want to sit on my feet and then they wrap their arms around my legs and they hold on tightly, right? And they say, Daddy, walk or Daddy, run. And the whole idea is they just want a free ride. But it's good. I get to burn some calories. So they, they hang on to that and, and onto my leg and, and, and they hang on for, for dear life because they don't know how fast I'm going to walk or if I'm going to run or if I'm going to jump or how high I'm going to lift my leg. They just hang on. And I think that's an awesome picture for us as the children of God. We should cling to God with everything we are. And it comes back to what I preached in February, where Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Not just part of you, not just part of your life, everything that you are. And so what Solomon writes in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not just part of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Brothers, sisters, are we clinging? Are we hanging on tightly? I know sometimes in my life it's pretty easy to bring part of the world into my walk with Christ. Sometimes it's easy to take my eyes off of my Savior and cling to other things for hope or purpose. But can I just encourage you that Hezekiah is a great example for us. Just cling to the Lord with all that you are. Maybe, maybe when you think about what your life is right now, it just seems like things are falling apart or it's kind of chaotic or there's no purpose. Just encourage you to get your eyes off of yourself and put them on Christ. 
the author and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews writes. And how do we do that? Well, we open his word and we obey it. Hezekiah, verse 6, kept his word, for he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, <clears throat> Excuse me, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. This morning you got our annual reports in your mailbox, and I encourage you to take a chance to read them. It'll only take you a few hours. They're not too long. But in there, in what I wrote, I shared this. The psalmist writes in Psalm 19, and I've preached from this passage a few times, and he's describing the word of God. It is perfect, reviving the soul. It is sure, making wise the simple. It is right, rejoicing the heart. It is pure, enlightening the eyes. It is clean, enduring forever. It is true and righteous altogether. It is to be desired more than gold, and it is sweeter than honey. In it not only is the servant warned, but in keeping it, there is great reward. That's the word of God. I've just seen in the last week or two, again, some studies that have just come out recently that just continue to show that we have more access to the Word of God today than we ever have before. It's at your fingertips. It's on your phone, your iPad, your Kindle, your computer. Many of us, as Americans, we've got several Bibles sitting at home, maybe even different translations. We have more access to the Word of God than ever before, and yet study after study after study shows that believers are spending less and less and less time in the Word of God. And it's not, let me just say this, it's not about passing a Bible quiz. It's not about the knowledge. It's about the relationship with Jesus Christ. John 15, he says, you can do nothing apart from me. It's, it's the idea of abiding with him, communing with him, spending time with him. So can I just encourage you as a body of Christ, spend time in the word of God. Open it with your children. Open it with your students. Open it on Sunday mornings for the Sunday school hour, for the church service. Engage in the men's study and the women's study. Take the opportunities to come together as brothers and sisters to hold each other accountable, to build each other up, to sharpen one another, to encourage one another, all that we can go out, all, all for the fact that we can go out and share the gospel more clear with the world around us for the glory of God. Jesus, even in his high priestly prayer, says this, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Unfortunately, there's consequences when we don't obey the Lord. In verse 11 and 12, it says this, Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away into exile to Assyria. Verse 12, Because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. Transgression is this idea that we know what to do, and we still choose not to. They transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servants of the Lord, commanded. They would neither listen nor do it. I used to think that in 2 Timothy where Paul tells Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. I used to think that in season meant when I have like a week or two to prepare for the message. And out of season is when Pastor Doug texts me at five in the morning saying, hey, you're preaching, buddy. Uh, that's what out of season meant to me, right? Like I'm thinking, I don't have time. I'm not ready. Um, I'm going to miss those texts, brother. So, but that's not what in season and out of season mean. In season means when the people want to hear the word of God and they're eager to grow and they want to learn and they want, they're on fire and they're, they're passionate about what God's doing. That's in season. Out of season is when the people of God don't want to hear the word. They don't want to hear the truth. They just want to keep living life the way they're living it. So Paul's saying to Timothy, be faithful. Preach the word in season and out of season. 
Just continue to be faithful to the Lord. And that's what it comes down to, friends. Our success is not defined by what the world views as success. Our success is defined by our faithfulness to the Lord. And so I would just encourage you, oh church, may you trust in the Lord. May you cling to him. May you obey his word for his glory and his honor. Don't let the culture and the climate that we're experiencing keep you from moving forward boldly and courageously for the gospel, for the sake of his kingdom. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your kindness, for your faithfulness. And even as Pastor Doug read from us for Ecclesiastes, there is a time for everything. And as many of us who have been here for a while, we've seen under shepherds come and go. But Father, I thank you that the great shepherd, your son, never leaves us nor forsakes us. That he never changes. So Father, would you help each one of us to put our eyes upon the great shepherd? Would he help us to fix our eyes upon the author and the perfecter of our faith, O Lord, that we would walk faithfully and boldly and courageously in faith for you. Lord, I thank you. Abby and I thank you and praise you for the almost 20 years of being here, being able to serve these dear brothers and sisters thank you for their words of encouragement. We thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you for their passion for you. And Father, we pray that as we finish out the next few months and celebrate with our high school grads and celebrate with our Awana clubbers, Lord, help us as a body to continue to spur one another on towards good deeds for your glory. Help us to be a witness and a lighthouse for this community. So, Lord, thank you for your timing. Thank you. Thank you for loving us. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.